Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Okay, so where were we? Fuck, it derailed the train. I'm sorry, you guys. That's okay. That's okay. 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 No. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm uh, always joined, uh, connected at the hip, me and Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And Richard and Michael like to talk. They talk, 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 talk. Pick a little talk, a little tickle, a little talk, a little chip, 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 talk, a little talk, 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 happy talk. What happens here? And they. the computer break. When they talk. Reset the computer. It's all I need to reset this computer. When they talk, they always disagree on things. And sometimes those things we discuss here on the Mount Rushmore podcast. And, you know, sometimes they agree too. But this time thing they're going to talk about and debate about is the Mount Rushmore of Tim Burton. Things Tim Burton. Maybe thinking films. I'm and just going to leave it open. Hmm. Timothy Bertoni. And not just uh, specifically, and this is your topic, Michael. Yeah. With Tim a li- Burton movies. With a little bit of leeway. With a little bit of leeway. Okay. Tim Burton is... Because there's a plumber named Tim Burton in Glendale. <laughs> His movies are great. <laughs> His movies are great. <laughs> uh, I chose this topic. I must have been watching like a Tim Burton movie. I probably was watching um, one of the movies that I was um, want to talk about. Okay. okay. Um, and I thought, you know, he has such an interesting... Uh, design aesthetic as a director and it kind of doesn't just affect the movies that he's personally directed but some of the other films that he's been involved with uh and he's just like such this unique person and a unique collaborator and kind of relies a lot on the collaboration of some very specific people that kind of you can see it kind of pushes him forward Mm -hmm. and you know, on top of him making some really kind of all-time great movies, he makes some amazingly strange bad movies. Yeah, true. And, like, I was shocked to see how many movies are adaptions. Like, over, I mean, way more than half of his movies are adapted works from other mm-hmm. sources. And I thought, yeah. this is a guy that now Disney and sometimes other kind of house, you know, uh, movie studios bring in to adapt a uh, uh, a product or adapt something into yeah. one of his movies. And I think the idea that they're like, let's get Tim Burton to do, let's say Batman mm-hmm. is fascinating. Or let's get Tim Burton to next year do Dumbo is yeah. crazy to me. And yeah. I, but they keep coming back to him. And I think that's ultimately really cra- yeah, f- uh, fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you need to re-mystify a franchise, <laughs> give it to yeah. Tim Burton. Yeah. Remystify. Yeah. What, what a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Michael chose it. Richard starts it. All right. I got categories. I got categories. Wow. You, you, categories. Michael, you have been in categories a long time. No, no. Ago. I have I have uh, categories this week. Okay. Sorts. Okay. So I've got the, the blueprint. Mm. Got goofy Tim Burton. <laughs> dark Tim Burton slash animated Tim Burton. Oh. And never got made. Oh, that's very interesting. So uh, the first one made sense. The blueprint. And it's Beetlejuice. Yeah, okay. on my list, too. I figured it would be. But it's on my list under... I have four different collaborators. Oh, okay. So it's under... Johnny uh, Depp, Winona Johnny R- Depp, Johnny Depp, <laughs> and Helen <laughs> Hall. Uh, under Winona Ryder. Come on, Danny Elfman's in there. Okay. That's true. Um, so I put this on here, even though it wasn't his first um, live-action movie that he directed. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Also an adaption. In a way, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you say, adaption? Like I mean, it adapted from a different from a different source. It's not adaptation. 
Am I being an asshole here? Yeah, you kind of mean. Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, sorry, guys. I mean, it, okay. is, it is adaptation, but we kind of let Michael. Okay, I'll cut this shit out. Lot. Sorry. I'm being a dickhead. I apologize. I want to ad- 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 adapt myself onto a different podcast. Will somebody else adapt me? You uh, <laughs> adapt your fist in our faces in a second. I'm going to dab because it's the thing all the kids are doing. Oh, that's the worst thing I've ever No, Note to self cut all this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it, it is something that's adapted, I guess, because it's. What came, and that's partially why I didn't choose as the blueprint, mm-hmm. because I still I don't think of that as yes, it's a Tim Burton movie, and yes, it's got a lot of his elements to it, but to me, it's owes so much to Pee Wee Herman yeah. and having that Pee Wee Herman kind of sure. world that was already developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Beetlejuice is the first movie where you really get the full barf barfed out of Tim Burton's brain is <laughs> yeah whatever whatever uh, Michael Keaton's character is right where you get that you know all the aesthetics of like dark and then these crazy bright things and mm-hmm. loud and checkerboard patterns checkerboard, and stripes yeah. and gothicness mm-hmm. it's the movie that kind of sets what his aesthetic is going to be for the yeah. next 25 years yeah like his like the Lydia Dietz character like Winona Ryder as Lydia Dietz who is this gothic loner outsider she's separate from her family who are like these rich yuppies. Right. Like this is this archetype that kind of yeah. follows him through every mm-hmm. single movie. Like you talk about blueprint and that's like one of those, this is the character within the movie. That's like a weirdo, a loner. And yeah. it's like, let's flash forward. I can't wait till Dumbo's this weirdo. I mean, Dumbo is a weirdo loner. Yeah. It, character. It, it's kind of a perfect fit. Yeah. You know, it, it establishes, like you said, it kind of, these very normal straight characters and what happens if you bring something supernatural into this world mm-hmm. um, it establishes how many of his movies either are musicals or have these kind of musical numbers that kind of pop up in the middle of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it kind of establishes, let's drop a manic character into this world or somebody who is not yeah, oddball for sure. A lot of his characters have this like kind of manic energy. What you need is you need a ghost that has the most. He was. <laughs> you're just in there. So why did you pick it, Michael? Well, I, I, you know, I looked at all of these through like who he kind of he kind of would glom onto a certain actor or a collaborator and and would kind of roll with that person mm-hmm. for a, a little bit. You yeah. know, with Winona Ryder, she carried over into like Edward Scissorhands yeah. as well, and didn't really work with him much past that because he kind of. At that point, had picked up his. He's got muses. Johnny Depp. Yeah, he they become his muse. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and I think that she kind of, uh, in this movie, was kind of like this iconic thing for him that he could attach himself to. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it's just like it's just a, a fun movie and a weird movie, and it's it's like the Tim Burtoniest of his movies. Yeah, it seems like the maybe the Winona Ryder character represents Tim Burton in these movies, the person who. In Beetlejuice, she's very visibly kind of an outsider. And then in um, Edward Scissorhands, she's kind of an insider, but she's seeking to find this other world that she knows exists that, mm. that the Beetlejuice or that Edward Scissorhands kind of escorts her into. Yeah, she went she yeah, she went from the outsider to being the popular girl that's with the jock. Yeah. But finds beauty in the weirdo outsider that's up the mountain. It is interesting too, because I would almost say um, they both wear uh, suits, one's striped, one's kind of checkered, but Beetlejuice and Pee Wee aren't too dissimilar from each other either. It's kind of this uh, 
Yeah, like manic energy. Manic energy, like you said, exists as kind of this cyclone. Is he really in this world, and do people recognize him as thus, or, or is he not? Yeah, it's, it's sort of establishing this reality that's, I mean, beyond the supernatural, and you can see this back with, with Pee-wee, mm-hmm. that's sort of this heightened reality, or this hyper-reality, or there's stuff about it that's just kind of yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, hey, that's cool. Like minds, brilliant minds think alike. Now, uh, Michael, what would be your second? My second one that kind of highlighted a, co- a collaboration of Tim Burton's was uh, him with Danny Elfman. Well, I mean, they worked together on 15 yeah. or so movies, but uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, oh, where uh, he didn't direct it, but it was basically his baby. Yeah. It was directed by a stop motion animating uh, director, Henry Selleck. And even though it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't there behind the scenes moving like the Jack Skellington yeah. character. Yeah. It was all him. Yeah. Uh, it kind of started as a uh, pitch that he had uh, submitted to Disney back in like the 80s when he was just an animator himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was working on like Fox and the Hound and yeah. the Black Cauldron and things over in, in Burbank. And, uh, it, you know, you could see like he's always had an interest in animation. Yes. Yeah. Whether it was in, even in Beetlejuice. Or Frankenweenie. Or Frankenweenie. Well, because yeah, he, anim- he was an animator yeah, yeah. before yeah. he did anything else with Disney. Yeah. Like he did Fox and the Hound. Black and Cauldron. Black Cauldron, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but where he kind of really, what he's kind of like yin and yang with like Danny Elfman yeah. in terms of like the music that is very like, oh, that is such a Tim Burton movie because yeah. of Danny Elfman's kind of dark gothic score. And Danny Elfman came out of Oingo Boingo and it was amazing to have, it's amazing to ha- for him to have like a second life as a composer kind of in the same way that Tim Burton had, you know, was a, animator and went to direct i guess every animator is kind of like a little mini director true but like the nightmare before christmas was just such a wonderful like little fairy tale of Mm -hmm. a movie a lot of his movies tend to be like these little small fairy tales um and you know him and marilyn manson basically kept teens clothed (laughs) yeah hot topic in business from 1993 to 1998 Uh, you know what I was going to say about Beetlejuice that I kind of stopped is that Tim Burton's films tend to show these two worlds that live in parallel. Yes. And in Nightmare, you know, there's this intersection where one goes into the forest and they see that there's doors to all these different worlds. And in uh, Edward Scissorhands, there's the suburban world and then there's this castle that's way up on this hill that well, nobody ever really talks about. But it seems like in... In Beetlejuice, there's also the the, the world afterlife. Of the, yeah, yeah, afterlife. The world of so, and I, I, what I love about that is kind of we all kind of suspect that that really exists. That there's this other world. Sometimes it's our dream state that we go to, and he's actually tapping into it. And, and David Lynch has kind of done that for years. The kind of idea of this this strange, um, um, almost like dream state that we we go into, but then the rules of engagement between those two worlds when somebody becomes a fish out of water like a scissor hand guy in the suburbs or or like uh the alec baldwin character going into the afterlife you know it's funny to see that happen yeah definitely when you see like the halloween jack like walking around christmas town yeah and he doesn't understand he doesn't understand anything that's going on but then at the same time is like enthralled by it and he's yeah like, you know even within his own kind of you know halloween town he is the king of I guess whatever Halloween town, but yeah. he was also he's also the outsider. He's he's the one that's like 
heavy as the head that wears the crown. Yeah, he's and also has a skeleton <laughs> head on it. He's he's like always looking for something different, or he's mm-hmm. reached the point where he's like, "Is this is this it? Yeah, you know, it's three hundred sixty four days until the next Halloween. Yeah, he's yeah. having like an existential crisis. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I think what those characters also, those outsider characters also do is um, show us how weird the real world is. So if you're Edward Scissorhands and you see, we see through his eyes these heavily makeup colorfully dressed weird ladies who live in suburbia big beehive hairdos or we see how actually kind of weird that a guy named sandy claus is like that's for kids because that seems weird he sneaks into your house that seems weird right (laughs) i think i think what why this pick is on my mount rushmore is was because of the music of it oh yeah you know you know danny elfman like we said had done a number of scores from i mean from his very first work from peewee's big adventure um and also got Beetlejuice and Batman and Edward Scissorhands and yada yada. Yeah. By the time he gets to Nightmare Before Christmas, it really showed his work as a songwriter as well, not just someone that does music. And mm-hmm. that kind of harkens back to, you know, the Boingo days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he performed this, the he performed the singing voice of Jack as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's and it's interesting that he really hasn't, you know, there have been movies that he's done, uh, Tim Burton, that haven't included uh, Danny Elfman, but they always seem to come back together, yeah. and they always kind of finds the right, mm-hmm. you know, note together with him. Yeah, uh, Richard, what do you got? All right, so my next one, I'll jump ahead to the Dark Tim Burton animated Tim Burton did not do Nightmare Before Christmas. I instead did Corpse Bride, mm-hmm. which I think is a really underrated movie in general, especially within his canon. It was actually made at the same time as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Hmm. So he would literally was going back and forth between wow. doing, you know, during the day, like his main gig, you know, kind of doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He had a co-director for uh, Corpse Bride. So then he would come and check in after he's done at the set of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, figure out how things were going, give some feedback, some ideas on what to do, and then just go back. Huh. And it's funny because if you look at the two movies... I think Corpse Bride is a much better movie. Oh, you do? Than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Th- yeah, I think it's... In, in terms of comparing it to Nightmare Before Christmas, I think they're both pretty close to being on par. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I chose this partially because he actually directed it. He had his mm-hmm. hands directly on it versus sort of mm-hmm. secondarily. Not secondarily, because he was kind of his idea. Sure. But, and I think it, it it's... It, to me, it kind of shows... Tim Burton's movies sort of had this romantic side to them. So maybe the romance is not the most like uh, normal. Yeah. Sure, none of it none of his romances are ever normal. normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, kind of plays into that where there's for lack of a better term, I think a love triangle between Johnny Depp, uh, his main character, his bride to be, and then a ghost. Yeah. And I think that it it's a it, to me it's just a very sweet movie. And even though it's got a lot of, it's, you know, it's called Corpse Bride. It's mm-hmm. a lot it's, of gallows humor. Yeah, a lot of gallows humor. It's a, visually, it's a very dark movie. This is when he was in that period where everything was just like, yeah, this and Sleepy Hollow, and just everything was just how, how, how much, how much blacker could we make this movie? Mm-hmm. It was basically in his <laughs> Spinal Tap uh, vinyl album cover mm-hmm. phase. But even within that, you know, he was able to, I think, bring some pardon the pun, life into this this movie. I, I, 
it's just it's a movie that I don't think gets enough credit. I think when it came out, it was successful. When I was doing some research on, you know, people ranking Tim Burton movies, uh-huh. a lot of times this was near the bottom. Hmm. And I just couldn't figure that. I can't quite figure I, that out. I maybe felt it's it was because derivative. I maybe derivative. people maybe people like yeah think that it's kind of a second rate nightmare before Christmas, mm-hmm. but I think it's got its own charm. I think it's more of a you know, obviously it's more of a rom- romantic movie, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, you want to get your lady ready in the mood. Yeah, throw in that movie with <laughs> the, 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 the zombie corpse bride. Oh, yeah. No, it's... And I, 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 for me, it's... I don't know. Just really what, like what I think, when you talk about romance, it makes me acknowledge that even... That Tim Burton acknowledges not... Tim Bur- if Tim Burton does romance, it's how romance really feels. It's full of melancholy yeah. and, and missed opportunity and re- sorrow <laughs> and regret and, and these ideas of, like, you know, if you could turn back time, what decisions would you have done differently? Or, or, so I feel like that Corpse Bride kind of captures some of that. Sure. So, yeah. Hey, guys, guess what? We're halfway through. And before we ask you to rate and review our podcast, we want to suggest using Audible. Who? You. Because Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And when you go there, if you like Tim Burton, like we do on this podcast, you might check out American Legends, The Life of Johnny Depp, frequent collaborator with Tim Burton by Charles River Editors and Morley Shulman. That's right. With 180,000 other titles, Audible has it all. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. I'll repeat it. It's audibletrial.com slash Rushmore, and you'll get a free audiobook. So we are at our halftime, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and get in the conversation. We'd love to hear what you would like to hear us discuss on Mount Rushmore. Go ahead and give us your opinions on past episodes and go ahead and get in the conversation. Another thing you can do to help the podcast is download, rate, and review our past episodes on the podcast aggregator of choice. Thanks, and we are back to the episode. Michael, what is your third choice? Uh, My third choice is his next muse, I guess, his collaboration uh, with Johnny Depp. Never heard of him. Uh, Jonathan Depardieu. Uh, this is a French actor. <laughs> uh, practically. Like, didn't, he, didn't he fuck off to France for a little bit? Well, that's thing? right. Yeah. He did. And uh, married a lady and, and beat her up. But it's got dark all of a sudden. Sorry. Well, it's a Tim Burton, it's a <laughs> Tim Burton story. So. Uh, but Johnny Depp uh, in Tim Burton's um, Ed Wood. My favorite which movie. Which is part of my would, list as well. That's, is the, it, that's the goofy Ed Wood one. Uh, this is probably his, like, best directed film even though it made like no money which yeah. i guess makes sense right it, it, it was about someone who made no money so. <laughs> yeah, i guess it was appropriate um uh johnny depp plays the titular character of ed wood a famous director of terribly awful movies like plan nine from outer space and Glenn glenda. glenda in another kind of outsider role of being a you know transvestite cross-dressing director who yeah. you know would stop at nothing to make his terrible movies and uh, would constantly try to put himself into the movie or his ideas like transvesticism that uh, the people that were making the movie would be like, what the hell are you trying to do? I'm just trying to make this crappy sci-fi movie. Yeah. And like, it, like his performance was as manic and as perfect as anything, just so driven. Yeah. And I think it was very 
you know, it was such an interesting choice for him to make it in black and white purposefully. And just like, you know, it made it very, very much feel of the, the age yeah. of when these movies were made and what the movies were yeah. know, about. I think in a lot of ways, this is Beetlejuice might be the most Tim Burton-y movie, mm-hmm. but I think this, these characters might be the most Tim Burton-y characters. I think probably the ones that he feels maybe the closest to, hmm. you know, because as, as crappy as the movies were, Ed Wood was an auteur. Like he had these visions in his head of yeah. these movies and he was determined to get these movies made the way he wanted to get them made. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the auteur kind of framework, right? Yeah. Just so happened that they were terrible, mm-hmm. but there, there's this oddball community that he kind of picks up and supports him and they, he you know, he supports them. They Vampira and Bella Lugosi, uh, Bella Lugosi and, and Tor. Criswell. Uh, yeah, the missing yeah. Criswell. Yeah, so um, so I think that's a, what is at the heart of a lot of Tim Burton movies, like, you know, the outsiders and finding this community even as an outsider, yeah. even if that means finding other outsiders and creating your own community. Yeah. And, and that's it, sort of what Ed Wood is about, and partially at least. Yeah, I almost feel like Afterlife, Underbelly, they're two different sides of the same thing like this all these people who he collaborated with lived in the least legitimate part of this of tinseltown of this most glamorous thing in the world and they uh had this kind of losers club right (laughs) (laughs) ragtag band of misfits uh, that cling together um to do in the least legitimate way the thing that was the biggest form of entertainment (laughs) and also and also are completely delusional especially ed wood yeah who is thinks every movie he makes is going to be his, you know, his citizen, masterpiece. His yeah. citizen Kane, yeah, yeah. which is why they then have the totally fictional scene with him meeting Orson Welles at the bar and kind of right. convincing him to go back and make the movie his way. Yeah. And that's a lot. There are, I think it's something Tim Burton characters too. They seem to have ideas in their head that might be grander than either not well thought out or grander than they're able to carry off. You yeah. know, like, yeah. like Jack Skellington. He gets this grand idea that he's going to take over Christmas mm-hmm. without having really thought out how this would work <laughs> or really having any skills necessary to pull this off. Yeah. Um, you know, Pee Wee is essentially one giant like ball of enthusiasm and not just sort of going forward. Yeah. He, it's his, all forward momentum. It's, yeah. All his plans happen as they're happening. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of Ed Wood, like, right? It's just like, I am, I'm going to make this movie and it's going to be incredible and just not understanding, no, I am making schlock because it's easy to make schlock. It's easy to make. It's easy to make bad movies. It's mm-hmm. hard to make bad movies that you think are good yeah, movies. Yeah, I, I love Depp's performance because it seems like the other side of of Forrest Gump or something. This character <laughs> who is gleefully uh, ignorant of their shortcomings, or you believe them to be ignorant, until at some point he somebody cuts through his facade and he goes from that kind of cheerful optimism sure Bella mm-hmm. to kind of shrugging and realizing that he's living in a world where people don't accept his flaws or his differences right and then he has to kind of re-optimize and go back into this uh, state and then at the end when he finds a woman who accepts him for him and they go off into <laughs> the darkness together yeah. oh it's so wonderful the one thing I think Tim Burton has done is um, explore all these different um fractal refractions of the universal monsters. And so Dark Shadows was essentially kind of this vampire character. Right. Bella Lugosi is Dracula on his day off. 
And here's this guy who was, it's what if Dracula retired to the suburbs, was still kind of treated as an old boogeyman. And what's it like for Dracula to get on the bus, <laughs> to go to the store, to be a heroin addict? And that's one of the things I loved. And You know, the stuff people do in the, in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, love that choice. Um, also, I love that movie because it felt like it was Bill Murray's return to cinema in the weirdest part ever of Bunny, what's her head? <laughs> the, the transvestite uh, um, who was yeah. also in Plan 9. Mm-hmm. And it felt like uh, Burton is able to grab these comedians and put them in these amazing, com- amazing cameo roles that use this part of them that they never get to do. So that was so fun. Now it's Richard. Yeah! All right, my last one in the never got made category is Superman Lives. Oh, this, oh. I, I'm delighted that you chose this. Yeah, I, I, as in doing the research for this, I was like, okay, I know the movies he's directed. I know some of the stuff that he's been involved in, if not directed. There's actually a whole Wikipedia, Wikipedia page just on un, un, like unreleased Tim, uh, unfinished oh. Tim Burton works. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's pretty deep because he is somebody who gets into a project and seems to have this issue of something will come up. It's not quite Terry Gilliam. Yeah. But a lot of times I think people hire him because he's Tim Burton. Yeah. And then he, de- he decides to make a movie that's a Tim Burton movie. And then yeah. people freak out what because the it's a Tim, what are you doing? Yeah. It's a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. It's like, no, you hired him because he's this. Yeah. Don't make him have to try and make like a studio movie. This drawing of Curious George shows an arm growing out of his forehead. I don't I don't remember that I don't from remember the, the books. Man in the yellow hat. <laughs> my my man fa- the yellow hat is just dripping blood constantly. <laughs> I think this is a great pick. And I think what is interest one of my favorite things about this movie that was never made is that over the last like five or six years maybe even less than that, all these different like video test footages oh, yeah. of like right. the costumes and like the, the like making of and like the behind the scenes stuff about what this movie could be started coming out. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's insane. I mean, it's Tim Burton, but it's just like, and there's a documentary about that actually called the death of Superman lives. I haven't oh. seen I've it's on like my, if it ever pops up on Netflix, I'm that's the amount of effort I'll take. To they see. have, yeah, they have a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes footage of what was shot before everything kind of Christopher fell apart. Walken maybe as like Brainiac and like uh, Kevin Spacey was also in line for that. Oh, was he too? Yeah. So all right, now he's in line for Lex Luthor. Actually, he was in line for Lex Luthor for this whole thing fell apart. He wound up doing Lex Luthor anyway yeah. later oh. on. It's kind of interesting. But uh, I think this is I think this is entirely fascinating as a choice, just because it's like. You know, like he must have so many different pitches that come through his office. And like there are ones that he's I think he stopped doing this to do like Sleepy Hollow. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, like, you know, he could have gone on to do another Batman movie and then was just like a producer on like the following Batman movie and Mm -hmm. started Superman and just kind of didn't really go anywhere or it started to go. So and then, you know, the the big uh the big production houses just were just like, uh, this, we spent too much money on yeah. this already. Yeah. I finally, for a guy who tells stories about eccentric outsiders who are largely misunderstood, there is a affinity he has for these big studio projects. Like I think he loves getting a big uh, soundstage and putting a cool set in it and doing all these things that cost a lot of fucking just, money. Or, or these special effects that are just, you know, throwing money at yeah. it constantly. He, he wants to try and take 
an auteur's eye or an, almost an indie filmmaker's eye. Mm-hmm. What happens if I, if I apply that to a big budget blockbuster? Yeah. Which is what happened here. I mean, first off, he started working, the whole project started on it with a Kevin Smith script, mm-hmm. which think about Kevin Smith and Tim Burton working together. It's like the two people, who, I can't, it'd be hard to think of two people who have sensibilities that are like more just polar opposites. Well, I'm sure Kevin Smith too wanted to keep it as close to the re- I mean, this was probably what ninety four, ninety five, something like that. Uh, yeah, that feels feels about right. Probably one to keep. Oh, no, it, like a little bit later, like ninety seven, ninety eight. Probably one to keep it as close to the comic book story of where Superman died as possible. Yeah. And I'm sure that you know the studios get involved, and then oh, they get they got really then, involved. And then Tim Burton gets like you know, like you said, like if you bring in Tim Burton to make a movie, there are gonna you know someone's gonna be dressed in black and white yeah. stripes. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, uh, John Peters, who is this very famous uh, Hollywood film producer, was involved in producing Superman Lives. And he pushed Kevin Smith to do things like he really wanted a giant spider. Oh, yeah. In, in the movies. And mm-hmm. S- Superman was supposed to, at some point, he just had to write a giant spider in there. Yeah. Of course, this doesn't get made. It winds up going into Wild Wild mm-hmm. West, which John mm-hmm. Peters uh, produced. Yeah. And there's just, he kept throwing things like he wanted him to fight a, a polar bear at one point. Nobody really knows why. He just thought Superman yeah. fighting a polar bear would yeah. be a good idea. And so to, you mentioned the Nicolas Cage thing. And that's, if, if, if you don't know much about this movie, I think people know the footage, the photo of him in the like costume test. When he's got the super long flowing hair because he just got off the set or he may have actually it may have still been shooting Con Air. So he has that like a crazy long Con Air, mm-hmm. greasy straight hair. And then this like ridiculous Superman suit that looks like it's five sizes too big for him, but it's got all the fake muscles and everything kind of cut into it. And like the strange like iridescence on it too, just odd. So you look at that and you go, "Oh my god, this would Nicolas Cage as Superman? How yeah. how would this would never have like worked? I, it looks like it never would have worked, but I think it actually would have worked mm-hmm. because the story that they wound up getting to with Tim Burton is that Superman is basically trying to deal with the fact that he's an alien yeah. and that he's not human and that he's not of Earth and that he is constantly feeling that way even though he's living here and interacting with people and pretending to be human. Yeah. That he's really not human. He kind of just knows this and I think some versions he doesn't actually know where his... He doesn't remember any of his backstory. Oh. So he actually thinks he's a human who's got these weird superpowers. Oh. And so that is right in the wheelhouse of Tim Burton mm-hmm. of that kind of outsider person who feels alienated yeah. literally in this case and i think nick cage could have played that because he looks like he, an alien for god's sake. yeah i i thought that until i saw ghost rider and saw him as a superhero on that well that's just somebody. a bad movie yeah. though but that's i love ghost rider i by you it seems like it was failing in the entirely um failing in a pattern of success so if you think of what batman was who who should we hire to play batman Michael Keaton? Right. What? And I, I could totally see how the studio was kind of like, well, you know, this guy seems to kind of make magic out of these misfit kind of components here. So that's a fun pick. Michael, what's your last one? Uh, so sticking with my like, collaboration theme, he kind of has these muses. And we talked about uh, Johnny Depp. And he kind of has worked with him on eight or nine movies. But someone that he's worked with almost as much uh, is, was his wife, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, 
who she originally was on like Planet of the Apes with on his like a Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah. And then went on to play all these like little bit parts. And the one that I think is like the most like Tim Burton-y type thing for him to do would to be to do Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And had her play like the Queen of Hearts in like this really exaggerated role. And in all but like one of the movies that he had her in, she's always like this weird, strange bit part. And yeah. I wonder if it's because they were romantically linked hmm. from that movie going forward. And he wanted to cast her and found her intriguing, but didn't want to put her in like the main role. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think she was like she co-starred basically with uh, Johnny Depp and uh, Sweeney Todd. But and, out- she, and she had to, she actually had to audition for the role of um, in Corpse Bride. Oh, did she? Yeah, it, 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 like it took her two weeks, him two weeks, even though they were married or together at the time, to tell her she'd gotten the part. Huh? But like, Alice- what a dick! <laughs> who, tell, who tells her when she's not in the movie? Uh, when they start making it, and she, uh. she's like, "Honey, so where are you going today? <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna go. We're kind of divorced. S- gonna go see some friends. Yeah, I'll be back after la- call, call t- last call. Oh. I'll be back after last call." He made um, Alice in Wonderland. That came out in 2010, which feels like forever ago, mm-hmm. but it also feels like right around the corner. And uh, that was a really strange adaption. Where, like you said, he almost fell in love with like the uh, computer graphics of it all. Yeah. To either make like uh, Helena Bonham's Carter like three, four times the size of her normal head, mm-hmm. or to have like Johnny Depp do like this weird dance routine that comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and, like Tweedledee and Tweedledum, or yeah. Just, these weird amorphous blob characters. And they feel like if you look at each one of the characters in it, it feels very much like it all feels Tim Burton, but like to see like the two little blobby characters and mm-hmm. the, the Tim Burton or uh, uh, the Johnny Depp's uh, Mad Hatter, who kind of feels like a Beetlejuicey type. Very much. Uh, you know, even from the look, and yeah. the way he's portrayed. Uh, but that movie, and you can tell why people bring him in to make movies. That yeah. movie made a billion dollars. Yeah. And I know that you work for a certain um, yeah. uh, mouse house. Yeah. And so, like, when he's attached to a project, it must just be like, okay, we know we're going to make yeah. X amount of money. International box office, you know these names are going to cut through um, the marketing, whatever. It's going to be Johnny Depp. It's going to be Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're going to... They kind of forget the movies that don't do as well, yeah. like the like Dark Mars, Shadows. Mars Attacks. Which I loved, yeah. but... Yeah, I almost, I almost had Mars Attacks in the uh, goofy... Yeah. Because it's goofier than Ed Wood. It is one of the goofiest movies it's of all so time. It's so strange. It's so odd. I mean, you've got, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker's head on a chihuahua's body. Yeah. You've got the... <laughs> ah, 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 ah. you yeah. got Slim Whitman, like, like music being the uh, saving grace. It's such a fucked up movie. I think what he does, interestingly, is deliver us the book we didn't read that conflicts with the movie we fell in love with. So if he delivers mm. a... World doll, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type movie. It's like the book. It's subversive. It's got satire. It's got stuff for adults. And then we have stuck in our mind the Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, the Technicolor wonder that we saw as kids. And it conflicts. And sometimes we think, oh, that's not as good. Or he didn't do that movie as well. No, he did the book. And I feel like Lewis Carroll might have been totally like channeled into um, Tim Burton because I imagine if Lewis Carroll were here, he'd say, yes, that's my vision right there. These strange yeah. blobs and these strange this and strange that. That's what it's like to be on acid. 
So, yeah. So, I mean, kudos to him for doing that, but it sometimes it gets... And what I think he's also done is done adult versions of kids' films. We go there and we think that this movie has to have this kind of very homogenized, um, simple through line that a kid would appreciate when really they're, these books were really kind of loved by generations and, and, and the mature themes that uh, are, are addressed are something that kind of blows people's minds. It's funny. Like if, I know we're close to wrapping up here. But if you ask someone about Tim Burton right now, they'd probably say, well, he hasn't really done a lot lately. Or he's maybe he hasn't had a big hit in a while or something like that. Because I, I couldn't think of it. But he, like, so the last movie he did was uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah. Uh, movie version, again, adaptation of a, a film series. Made almost $300 million in the box office. That's crazy. I, don't, I didn't see it. No. I don't know anyone no. who saw it. But his movie, I mean, Dark Shadows made $250 million the box office eventually up globally. I saw, I saw it like it was on Netflix. Not bad. Really? It's, I, it's, I it's, it's like it. It's like kind of just fun. His movies yeah. are just like, no matter, no matter what, like just looking through the list of like, we saw Big Eyes recently. That's a very good movie. I yeah, actually pretty interesting. I really love that movie. Really, like he's, he, he's able to find like unique topics even amongst like, you know, I mocked Dumbo at the beginning, but I'm sure it's going to be like yeah. a really interesting take on Dumbo. Yeah, it'll be really, really a it's visual not gonna splendor. Be, it's not going to be bland, certainly. And I, I guess I bring that up just to wrap this up. I mean, he, you mentioned the sort of people bring Tim Burton in, in to direct these movies. And clearly there is a, no matter what he does, you know, there are people who will go, huh, Tim Burton directing Dumbo, Tim Burton directing Miss you know, Peregrine. I want to see what he does with that. Yeah. Whether or not it actually is good or not, or somewhere in between, there is, I think, a lot of us who will go, yeah, I'll give that a shot, yeah. even if I'm not interested necessarily. I mean, we probably weren't interested in the Keen paintings necessarily mm-hmm. before you saw that movie. Yeah. Um, but it wound up being something that I watched basically because it was Tim Burton. Yeah. You know what I hear he's doing? Sisterhood of the Traveling Black and White Striped Pants. Ooh, so hey, we're, we're, we're wrapping up now. We're wrapping right? up, guys. So we're uh, so this has been a fun discussion, Michael. You get big points because you brought up one of my favorite movies, and that is Ed Wood. And hey, so did I, one of my picks too. No, oh, oh shit. Okay, so do you, Richard? Because you brought that up too. So point and point, um, Richard. You get what I call balls points for bringing up a movie that didn't even get made. Superman lives. I thought that was you sacked up and you did the did the man thing there. So that was a lot took a lot of guts. Or the woman thing. Woman uh, could sack up too. A woman could sack up too. Neither of you get points because I never saw really Beetlejuice and what I saw I didn't like. What? Yep. Hold on. Hold on. Whoa. 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 Yep. You did, what? Save it for Jeff Cast. Yeah. No. Okay, no. Sorry. No. No. We're not. No. Yeah. You didn't like Beetlejuice. So I don't think Michael Keaton was funny. I thought he, he was. I didn't. Whatever. He, whatever was happening in it, didn't think it was that interesting. The part where he. Um, uh, uh, was horny and then grew horns. That wasn't. Yeah, you know what? Also, people who imitate Beetlejuice, I never think they're funny. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, is that, is that like Ace Ventura? Yeah, it's never funny. Yeah, if you like that, you're not funny. Um, huh. Okay, so I guess we're not funny, Michael. So that was the non-points. I guess that's proven um, already. But uh, Richard, I like your unusual take on Corpse Bride. I thought that was uh, interesting because I, I, you kind of talked me out of thinking it was derivative because I. And you know what? Why I thought that is because Michael reminded me that Nightmare Before Christmas was not directed by Tim Burton. So played yourself, fool. 
<laughs> Stick a quarter in your own ass because you just played yourself. It's titles with a little leeway, guys. You got one more to go. I got one more to go. Okay, I'm gonna pick. Um, Ed, uh, Alice in Wonderland, because I work for a major <laughs> entertainment company that is depending on that in order for my will t- take it. myself to have employment. This has been the Mount Rushmore podcast. I'm Tim Burton. I'm Johnny Depp. I'm Danny Elfman. character that he played edward oh my god see what's happening here that's that's (laughs) michael's brain broke